when we must say goodbye. Soon you'll be sailing far across the sea. While you're away, oh then remember me. Na mihinui kia koutou katoa. I'm Sue Berman and this is Korotuturu Real Gold podcast series that brings to life Auckland Library's heritage collections. And today I'm outside of the Central Library to meet with Francis Walsh, who is the in-house writer for the New Zealand Maritime Museum, and with British arts Jeremy Hansen, and we're in the atrium on Takatai. Uh, so kia ora kōrua, thank you for um, joining me today. It's um, an exciting collaboration with Auckland Library's heritage collections to have curated this bon voyage, good trip be good, Farewell for Auckland's Wharves, an exhibition of photography by John Reichenberg. Morena Sue, lovely to be here with you. So um, Francis, I wondered if we could start with you to describe where we are. Uh, we're in the Takatai Atrium, Britomart's Takatai Atrium. Um, and we're looking at a series of panels that have just gone up. So. I think there are about 48 panels in all, um, and they're devoted, the exhibition is devoted to uh, a collection that Auckland Library Heritage Collections hold um, of John Reichenberg's photographs and of his studio's photographs, but these ones are specifically devoted to his shots that he took from 1958 to 1962 on Princess Wharf of Fair and it's, it's named as you mentioned, bon voyage, good trip, be good, um, because that is actually a telegram that was sent to Mrs. Eileen Cook, cabin 316C, on um, an Italian liner called Castel Felice um, from Bill. <laughs> who seemed to be quite anxious because uh, by the time Castel Felice left for Europe um, at the end of the 1950s, Bill actually had sent Eileen Cook three telegrams and they all sort of got increasingly anxious but they were all variations on be good, (laughs) good trip, bon voyage, take care, don't do anything I wouldn't do, that kind of thing. I'm curious now, of course, to find out more about these telegrams in relation to this this trip. Are they in the Maritime Museum's collection? Yeah, I mean, the wonderful thing about this exhibition is that it's a collab, a collaboration between um, the Maritime Museum, which I work for, and um, Auckland Libraries, and um, Jeremy Hansen and Brittemarth. Um, and what we've done is we've, as well, we've supplemented Reichenberg's black and white photos, many, many of them, uh, with ephemera that come from our, our museum. So there are things like, you know, like these gorgeous menus from Tofua that went up to the island, Tofua 2 that went up to the islands from about 1951 to 1974, and then other menus, little luggage tags, um, to give this this sort of, you know, sense of 
evocation of what it was like and all of the kind of guff that was around it because they were these farewells and they are only farewell shots. Um, Reichenberg didn't bother with arrivals because as his partner and then wife who's still alive um, called Wendy Wright said you know basically they didn't bother with arrivals because people would just come in to Princess Wolf and bugger off quite smart whereas farewells were surrounded by uh, they were highly ritualized um, so people got down there early uh, there was often a band playing in one of the sheds um, they dressed their, their dress you know we, we have called one of the panels looking fly because they were just gorgeous and of course that was in the days so again it's 1958 to 1962 um, when people um, crafted seriously crafted and they had to because there was nothing else to buy but they're very very beautifully and carefully dressed and accessorized um, so then they would meet the whanau would meet um, and they would gather as I say there would be a band playing and then what you could do is um, you could go on board and you could check out the quarters of the passengers. So there, he also, um, Reichenberg, had shots on, on the ship, on board. Um, and then the all visitors ashore sounded and people would go off and often a band was there and they would play um, Poa Tarao, um, Now is the Hour. Passengers would lob streamers to their whanau <laughs> and then as the as the ships sort of backed into the Waitamata um, of course the streamers broke and then he also took shots of the ship the ships departing into the harbour and these rather forlorn shots of people walking home heads bowed you know uh, yeah there's a couple of shots on the panel there of people standing just holding the kind of the ends of the the streamers um, where, they, where they have broken and, and let their people sail away. Yeah, it's a beautiful um, variety of, of, of photos kind of capturing all of what you've just described. Is there a particular kind of favourite that you, that you have when you were curating? What sort of stood out for you? So many things, Sue, because of course you can go on to Kura, which is Auckland Libraries, online collection and you can just lose yourself which I did for days on end because I don't know there's there's something incredibly um, moving about them I would say and also kind of surprising and also all of these kind of demographic groupings of people that's that's mesmerizing because because these these ships um, they went to various places so there's the there was the New Zealand shipping line Rangitata and Rangitane, and they went, they went to England, and then there's Tofor, as I mentioned, and that went around the islands, and then there was Arcadia and Castel Felice. So they went everywhere, kind of across the Pacific um, to, you know, the Northern Hemisphere. So you have all of these. You you really can get a sense when you look at the photos, and that's why I find it really hard to sort of pick favourites. That there were. There was all sorts of human endeavour going on, like you'd, you'd never, because they're all most of them are unidentified, right? So some of them would have been going for, uh, they would have been going on the Wanganella to Sydney, maybe to see family, maybe for you know for a holiday, maybe going back home, um, and then some that were going to, for the OE to Europe, to Britain, you know, the mother country. Others were going to North America. Um, there were businessmen, there were, you know, groups of women. There's a lovely one on, 
of tofu or chu, which is the, um, we think, um, we're pretty sure, Auckland Library is pretty sure, which is the um, Waitakere woman's softball team. <laughs> some of your favourite images? Um, well, I love the intergenerational shots, um, and a lot of these are, are really from Tofua, but actually also from Wanganala, and um, <laughs> what is really great is that on three of the four of the shots, you get this Pākehā, this kind of white guy in the corner, like, sort of almost begrudgingly holding a streamer while also, in the other hand, dangling a cigarette. And he looks, they all look like they've been dragged there and they're enduring it, but they're so kind of gorgeous. They're also incredibly well-dressed, so they're, they're very seductive creatures, really. Yeah. <laughs> We're looking at a particularly grumpy man now. Um, Who's just, you know, they're, they're interesting because it's like they're, they're under sufferance. You know, they look as if they have been made to come. You know, look, you know, Auntie Sheila's going, we're going. Get in the car, drive the car. You know? <laughs> we were just talking earlier, Jeremy, about the, um, you know, the design and, and where we are and how the panels are filling the atrium um, and the streamers are kind of, you know, in tow. I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about the design thinking and what it means to have an exhibition like this in this space. It's interesting crafting exhibitions for a space like this because hundreds if not thousands of people go through a day from the train station exit, they're approaching this from multiple points so it's a very different concept than staging something in an exhibition where the hierarchy and the order in which you see things is quite clear. So we had to be quite careful designing this and at first we wanted people to stop and pay attention to it but also if they stop at any point hopefully they can find themselves, find their way into the exhibition and understand what it's about. So that was about breaking up the text into of Franny's beautiful writing into smaller chunks and also just having a phrase or two within each of those chunks of text that tell people what they're looking at. And I guess in a wider context, we're really interested in, in general in telling stories about this place. And I'm a bit of a Grinch, so I'm not super into Christmas stuff, but the idea of summer and Christmas as a time of reunions and departures and of new adventures um, is really redolent throughout this series of photographs. And so we felt that it was a really rich theme to explore from now until the end of January so that people could kind of tune into a bit of festivity but also have a sense of this place and the fact that the walls were Auckland's connections, almost only connections to the world at this point. Um, and to bring back memories of the rituals of those days which have connections to the rituals of now but they're also kind of distinctly different so it's got a lovely time capsule flavour in that sense. And I think documentary photography also is really approachable to people because um, it's not like a formal art display but there are multiple points of entry that people can find at their own level whether it's a face they think they recognize or a curiosity about the location um, or interest in the clothes um, there's a number of different points people can um, can enter the exhibition and I, I think that's so right Jeremy and I think if you look at them these particular shots as a group they're, they're incredibly humanist um, because um, you know it's people going about their sort of quotidian 
sort of lives, although this was a special thing, the farewells, you know, were very ritualistic and it was a real do, you know, get down to the wharf, someone's leaving. But they are they are kind of very moving because although um, many of the shots show people kind of grinning and, and it's a real occasion, it's overlaid with pathos, really, because people... As Jeremy said, they're leaving, they're arriving. So you've got this sort of glut of emotions. And some of these people um, would have been going and their far now probably never saw them again. If they were going to Europe, that, that was it. You know, maybe they stayed there their whole lives. And in those days, you know, ship travel was a big thing. And you can see it in people's faces that, that this was a big deal. Because, you know, Auckland Airport opened in 1966. And before then... You know, I mean, there was air travel, but very expensive. Um, so going by, by ship was obviously affordable, but it was also, well, affordable for some, um, but it was also the way you did it, the way you travelled. Um, yeah. And I guess, you know, the communication links on top of that were, were limited. You know, the phone call at home was incredibly expensive, and the telegram was kind of more the way to communicate. Absolutely, absolutely. The telegrams were very important, and I do, I do think that's a kind of lovely thing that happened. That people would be probably only waiting for a few hours to go out into the Waitemata, and they were receiving telegrams from their loved ones, like Bill, <laughs> be good, <laughs> don't forget me, you know. Um, and that was kind of this this lovely piece of ephemera that you got. And what's quite interesting is that people, um, well, we find in the New Zealand Maritime Museum that. We've got little collections of people's ephemera and they kept all of that stuff, like their little luggage tags, their telegrams, their bon voyage cards, which were very beautiful, you know, but that was obviously a genre of, of card. Um, and so, like Eileen Cook, who features in the exhibition going on Castel Felice, she had like this whole, like, you know, the whole bunch of like bon voyage cards, which was sort of quite a lovely kind of way of marking this incredibly significant thing, travel. So people can see on the on the panels in the exhibition some of this beautiful ephemera alongside the photographs. Tell me about the booklet. So we thought that it was a really nice idea for people who might be just zipping through here and didn't have time to spend, um, that they could take away a booklet with them um, which contains all the content and some extra photographs that we didn't have room to display on these outdoor panels and just take the time to immerse themselves a little bit more deeply. They might be able to spend some more time with the photographs and possibly identify relatives that might have been on the wharves at that time. And it just has that feeling, I think, of a, um, a bit like Franny was talking about, about these keepsakes that people have. It's a keepsake from the exhibition that some people might um, come back to in a few years' time. They might share it with relatives. They might have a conversation about it over summer. So we liked the idea of giving people the opportunity to do that and to just take their time a little bit more with it if they're having to rush through this public space. It's beautifully curated and written. <laughs> and so they will pick these up sort of in this in this space somewhere or at the shops or? Oh, so we have um, specially designed little um, bins that, bin is the wrong word, but I can't think of the right word, that these um, little A5 booklets will be in with a sign saying take one at the top. So they're designed in the same look and feel as the exhibition and there'll be two of those bins, um, one on Te Aratahuhu and one in the atrium where people can pick up these booklets and again it's that there's something nice about having displays or exhibitions like this in public space because 
It also takes away the formality of approaching an institution. And I also like the idea of offering people a really low pressure way in. There's no, you can come up and read a caption, and if it's not for you, you can just duck away again, or you can be more immersed, but there's no intimidation factor about participating in this exhibition. Um, and also, you know, there's 5,000 people that work in this immediate vicinity. They'll see this exhibition multiple times, so hopefully it also offers them enough layers to kind of dig deeper over the two-month period in which the, the show is on. Yeah, brilliant. Is there some? Is there a kind of a connection into the New Zealand Maritime Museum if people did want to wander across to the museum? Um, yeah, there are several ways in that um, you can approach the New Zealand Maritime Museum and sort of see links. We've got um, this wonderful gallery called Oceans Apart that have these incredibly beautifully made um, models of some of these ships that you can see that John Reichenberg shot. And also we have a, a immigration gallery um, where people can kind of get a sense a little bit more about what these internal spaces on these ships might be like. Yeah. And then just also connect them with the Auckland Library's collection. Of course, we've already mentioned Kura Heritage Collections online, which people can go go through. But inviting people to, if they do identify um, somebody that they know or think that they know that, of course, Auckland Libraries is always very happy to hear from them. Um, and like you said, there's a bigger context around John Reichenberg with this collection, which is, which is massive beyond these beautiful um, wharf shots. Did you want to... Talk a little bit about John Reichenberg and what you know of, of him as a photographer. I think he's, he was quite extraordinary, really, because he was a commercial photographer. He emigrated from Holland in, after the war, um, and um, he arrived in Auckland, and he built state houses in Tamaki, and then he worked at the clothing um, Cambridge Clothing Company in Yulin, and then, but he was driven by this, it was a hobby, right? So... He, he ducked and dived for a while and he started obviously going down on the wharf but he also um, used to go to restaurants, he did street photography um, and until he started getting, he got a studio, his business got a studio in the early 60s in um, Albert Street and Swanson Street. But I suppose the thing about these ones and it, you can see it in, actually in the restaurant shots and the um, fashion shots on Queen Street, which is, as you said, so all available to look at on Kura, um, that there was this sort of wonderful kind of humanism about them. And um, and he was really clever because some of the shots in, in um, you know, Bon Voyage Good... Um, I've forgotten what it's called. Bon Voyage Good Trip, be good. Um, were these kind of asymmetrical kind of gatherings that looked like some kind of Renaissance Titian kind of composition where people are kind of falling out of frame and they're kind of lush and dynamic. Um, and it's hard not to think that he was driven by this humanist project. But I did ask Wendy Wright, who is his um, former wife, whether he was really interested in Magnum photographers, you know, at the end of the 40s, you know, um, Robert Capper and that, because they were driven by this desire to be democratic and capture people going about their daily lives. And she said, no, he just wouldn't take photographs. So, I mean, that was it. He just loved, and, and he until he, he died in 2014, he retired when he was in his 80s. And Wendy tells me that the family had to basically prize the camera out of his hands. You know, he, he never left the house without a camera. But I, And he was very unassuming and courteous. And I think some of the shots, you think, how did he relax people? Because some he actually 
really kind of like cajoled. Others in the shots, which are kind of wonderful, he's capturing people unawares. I mean, they're both kind of mesmerising. But apparently, you know, he just was, he was very unassuming. He was sort of balding. He had bad teeth, Wendy tells me. Um, <laughs> and, but he was incredibly polite, always in a suit. And if people were kind of larking around, she said he would just say, when you're ready, sir, uh, you know, move over there. And um, then that was it. But he was obviously, and I love some of them, I think he, he has managed to turn the kind of prosaic into the poetic. Because obviously, you know, people would just down there milling around. But we're looking at a shot as we sit here at the table of a shot that he took high up of streamers being lobbed from a ship down to this crowd dockside and it's incredibly beautiful because almost the streamers are down coming down over the people and it, it kind of almost looks that they're overlaid with these streamers and they look the crowd look as almost as if they've been filigreed you know, it's it's very elegant. It's, it's I've, I've been sitting here wondering how he actually took that. He must have been on the gangplank before mm. it, yes. it before it lifted. Yet we're very very close to, you know, well, to leaving by the looks of what was. You know, I could just imagine him when I look at the shots. Imagine him sort of galloping round because he was very clever. He stationed himself at various parts on the wharf. So at the top of the gangplank dock side on the ships and there are actually my other favourite shots are the interior ones where he goes on and he captures people sitting on these incredibly chintzy kind of like upholstery and because at that time woman you know flora was big in fashion and that you can't pick that they're subsumed by these chintz couches you can't tell where they start and the couch city starts <laughs> they're just gorgeous yeah did you also talk about for any how they were available from the town hall the next day, the photographs? Yeah, that yeah, that was fairly interesting because some of them, and this was the other thing that I, I found really engaging about Reichenberg was that um, one of the one of their agendas, the Reichenberg studio, and John, I think, and Wendy, was that they wanted to make photography available to people who didn't have cameras. Most people didn't have cameras. So he was down there with his Leica 35. And in all of these shots, I think there were about two of people's with box brownies. So it was an affordable way for people to have photographs because most people couldn't afford a studio setting. So what he would do, he would give them a little card, you know, would you like your photo taken, madam, sir, you know, whatever. Give them a little card for Reichenberg Studios and then they could nip up up Queen Street to the next day to the Town Hall Pharmacy, look at the proof sheet and then pick them out and they, they could get a little postcard photograph which was the equivalent I think I worked out of like five pounds of butter or a pink cha-cha lipstick. <laughs> you know and there's sort of you can imagine people pouring over them and he won't, but he was a businessman. Wendy also told that he never took a dud shot because he knew that was a wasted shot, wasted film. So, there, you know, I, I couldn't find one in the Kura collection that was out of focus. Yeah, it's a rare, it's a rare thing. He, he was patient, wasn't he? He would wait, like you said, for people to be in, in the right space to get the right shot. Um, and then, of course, the delivery of the photos were often in those lovely cardboard envelopes that that then become part of family, yeah, family collections. And Sue, just to pick up on your comment that we'd love to hear from people, because what would be fantastic is that um, people, one, tell us their voyaging stories, you know, their memories of, even if, if it's their whānau, where, where did they go, what did they do on these ships, because we, 
you know, we, there are so many stories that must be available. There is a, a great story on Castel Felice that I just loved, and I'd love to find a woman who did this. Apparently, Castel Felice, Castel Felice, Italian liner, in the 19, early 1960s, it, it was, they, we, we came across this, um, this oral history that said, this guy said it was great, you could be dancing at midnight and you could put your hand up and a waiter that was going by would put in a piece of hot pizza in your hands and they also let women, of course, hang out their washing on the prow of the ship but then when the rain was coming in, the crew would say, rain coming and all the women would rush out and get the washing off the prow. <laughs> uh, those are the days. <laughs> You'll be sad.